This is Transistor.fm. Product people would not be possible without the support from the fine folks at Sprintly. If you're building software with a team of people and you need to make your development process more transparent for the whole company, Sprintly is for you. Now anyone can check in and see what stage certain features are at. Founders and product managers can get the pulse of the whole company in one place. I want you to try Sprintly for free, www.sprint.ly. After your trial is over, use my coupon code PRODUCTPEOPLETV2013, all one word, for 10% off. This week we chat with New York-based entrepreneur Spencer Fry. He's built some really cool products and been a part of some really cool teams, including Carbon Made. Right now he's working on a new product called Uncover. And he's got lots of advice for product people, especially when it comes to sales and marketing. Let's listen in. Hi, I'm Justin, and this is Product People, the podcast focused on great products and the people who make them. Today, I'm joined by Spencer Fry, co-founder and CEO of Typefrag, Carbon Made, and currently working on a new project called Uncover. Spencer, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. How are you doing today? Doing very well. We actually have some nice weather in New York City, finally, after about two or three weeks of uh, ridiculously hot weather. So. Oh, really? Yeah. What's hot for New York? Um, Mid-90s, um, and then, you know, the humidity is terrible here. Oh, uh, yeah. It's all in the large buildings, but today yeah. we kind of have a breeze. So it's been nice. I think it's like low 80s today. Perfect. We had a, it's, I'm in British Columbia in kind of the southern part, and it, it, gets, it can get really hot here. We had a 100 degrees Fahrenheit yesterday, and, uh, but there's no humidity. It's just like dry heat, basically, yeah. which makes a big difference. Yeah, it's, it's a huge difference. And I bike everywhere, so it's really tough, um, you know, biking to work and everything with, like, a sweaty backpack. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so do I. So do I. I the heat may, does make a huge difference, actually, when you're biking around. It's nice when it's, like, in the morning and it's cooler, but, yeah, yeah. if it's middle of the day, it's not so fun. Well, Spencer, maybe we could start by just having you give us a background on yourself. Uh, where did you grow up? And maybe talk about how you got into building stuff in in the first place. Sure. So um, I grew up in New Haven, Connecticut, um, around and actually on the campus of Yale University because uh, both my parents are professors there. Okay. So but at a very early age, um, I'm 29 now, so I think at around 10 or 11 years old, I had really, really high-speed internet. Um, while my other friends were kind of on dial-up modems, I was on Yale's internet. So, oh, no way. Yeah. So that would have been like one of the original like T1 connections or T3. Yeah, I think we were even at T3 at that point. Yeah, so that was like 94 or something. Wow. Earlier. Yeah, 94, 94, 95. Um, so I was, you know, browsing the internet all the time because everything was so fast. And um, I just got really interested in like video games and um, which actually a lot of entrepreneurs that's kind of like where they started um 
and I got really interested in video games. I started kind of putting up little sites that, uh, like gaming websites, like news about different video games. Um, and that eventually led kind of to Typefrag. And, and what was, what is Typefrag? Well, so, um, kind of in early college, I was messing around on like different, you know, internet stuff for like my whole teens and high school days and actually like started, a like a small web hosting company and like shell service for IRC and all this craziness. But um, I was always like very into video games and um, Typefrag founded that when I was like a sophomore in, in college. So I think 19 years old. And that was kind of my big first internet success. And Typefrag was voice over IP for computer game players. So kind of in the Counter-Strike days, everyone used to kind of play together, but it was very hard to communicate with your teammates. There's there's built-in voice, but it was very bad quality. Gotcha. So we launched uh, Typefrag so that, you know, teams and friends could kind of talk together while playing the game. How did you how did you figure out like quality voice over IP when you're 19? Um, so, you know, it was there was a small community using the software called Ventrilo, which is still around today. And it's basically like standalone app that was very very lightweight very poorly designed but the voice quality was really high mm -hmm. and it also supported kind of up to 400 people at once on a single server and a lot of these like games uh some of them had built-in voice at the time but the quality was really really low and it was capped to your team um so we kind of saw an opportunity there where it's like you didn't have to be connected to the game to talk to your teammates and the whole like esports um, revolution that's really really hot today in the last few years was just starting to get going. So we we kind of saw an opportunity there um, to build Typefrag and to like allow teams to be able to use this voice service. Yeah, and so you built this with a, a co-founder or a friend? Yeah, uh, built it with a co-founder. Um, we both kind of did the early development stuff. Um, and he then kind of took on the lead role as the developer, and I took on um, kind of the CEO sales marketing role. Um, and you know, we were actually it's interesting because now people are doing podcasts a lot more frequently in the last you know five years, even ten years. But um, in the early two thousands, there weren't that many podcasts, but there were a lot of um, gaming podcasts. Yeah. And so that's that was one of we were one of the first to actually market on a podcast of any company out there on the web. <laughs> I think in like 2003. Yeah, um, wow, it was really early on. Yes, yeah, super, super early on. And, and there was like kind of live broadcasts of these um, games. And we got in early and they would be like, you know, this is brought to you by typefrag.com, you know, get your Ventrilo service sort of thing. And they actually recorded like um, spots for us and everything. So it was, it was really kind of neat. <laughs> and, and so... How did you do the sales and marketing for something like this? You talked about the podcast sponsorship. What else was involved in getting this off the ground? Uh, and actually, maybe let's just back up a little bit. H how long did it take you to build it? Um, so Ventrilo was um, software that was out there. And we basically um, we licensed the technology. And then we built the kind of the back end and the, like, the database to manage the servers. So it was like this thing you could host on your local machine, but obviously that would be slow. So we mm -hmm. took it and put it, um, distributed it around the world. So I think we had, um, when I sold the company, I think we had 10 to 15 locations around the world and on like really, really fast connections. And yeah. we did all the like administration 
like the system admin stuff, um, and built like this backend control panel. We were also one of the first to build kind of like the control panel too, um, in 2003, where you could actually manage the entire service. So we were very early as a web app. Yeah, and you, you said multiple like locations. Yeah, because latency is always like a huge thing in video gaming. So, yeah. Um, the closer the voice server was to you as a player, the faster the connection would be. So if you were in like California and connecting to a New York City server, that would be slow. So we had we had um, servers in Seattle, Washington, um, in LA, and stuff like that. So our West Coast gamers could use those. This is a lot of logistics. Like Australia, yeah, in Europe. Yeah, it was crazy. That's a lot of logistics for because you guys were 19, 20, 21 when you're building yeah. this. Yeah, it was actually it's funny because I was um, I was I went to Yale University and um, I started as a computer science major and then kind of midway um, through my sophomore year and typefrag started to catch on and I basically had to drop my major and pick up psychology because I was I didn't have enough time to complete the CS requirements. <laughs> so, yeah. This was taking up all your time. Yeah, it was it was definitely full time business while at work or while at school and we um, we had like employees and everything it was crazy. Now, how, you said it really started to take off. What, what does that mean? Because I'm looking at sure. what it says right now. It says servers starting at $2 per month. That seems like a pretty low price point. Well, yeah, back in the day, when we when I was still involved, it was um, basically we were charging about $5 per slot or maybe 3 or $4 per slot. Now they're charging about $0.40 because um, there's so many more competitors. But at the time, we were so early, so we can kind of set the price. Gotcha. And it was that per per slot per month? Is that how it worked? Yeah, per slot per month, yeah. So it was recurring. It, so you were doing recurring revenue in the early twenty in the early two thousand. Uh, this would have been yeah. what early two thousands, yeah. Yeah, I think it's going to be this December will be the tenth year anniversary. Of wow. So early on for recurring revenue, and and how did it do? Like, did you like talk me through like launching and then growth and all that stuff? Sure. So, um, you know, we started in early December, early mid December, two thousand three. Um, we just basically wanted to build this thing because we kind of saw it taking off. Um, we launched it, I think, in March, and it was funny because I remember the first week, my partner was like, "This is a bust. No one's buying it." You know, it took a, like a full five days to get our first user, and then we got our first user, and then like twelve hours later, we got our second user, and then. You know, six hours later, we got our third, and then within like two weeks, we had we had maybe twenty to thirty accounts already set up, and then by that summer, we had hundreds. Um, so we were going really fast, really quickly, and ma the main ways we were kind of advertising this thing was um, IRC is like a huge. I think I don't know if it was is anymore, but it was like a huge gathering place for computer gamers. Like mm -hmm. you had Counter Strike channels, you had all these. Um, professional esports teams had their own channels, and um, you know their fans would kind of um, hang out in the channels and chat with the members and so forth. So mm -hmm. we kind of like saw that as as like a place to put our advertising. Mm -hmm. and no one was doing this at the time, so they all, you know IRC channels have basically subject lines. So what we did is we like talked to all the top um, gaming teams that were just starting to kind of get sponsorships from like Intel and. Um, these bigger companies, and we said, you know, can we be your voice over IP sponsor and give you guys free VoIP connections? And like, can you then advertise us on your website? 
your IRC channel and your T-shirts when you go to you know different gaming events. So we we got like all the best clans at the time, all the best teams, and just kind of went from there. And and did that actually provide a lot of growth? Like what uh, what yeah. provided the best growth? Um, I think it was a definitely a combination between the podcasting stuff and the teams because one of the things is like. You know, the reason people buy Michael Jordan shoes is because it's Michael Jordan, you know, and then the same thing in like in esports, like they, the, you know, the average players want to use the same technology that the professionals use. So whether it's like a mouse, you know, a mouse pad, a computer, a graphics card, or even a voice server. So yeah, it was definitely like a huge thing for us. And this was right when that kind of professional team sponsorship was starting off. So you were right. you were really early then. Uh, really how, early. how important do you think that is? Because that's that's a kind of oft discussed uh, thing is uh, timing, you know. And yeah. uh, and from the outside, sometimes it can seem like you know the people that get in early definitely have an advantage over those that maybe come in later. Would you th- do you think that's true as well? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the one thing to say, though, is like for us, I think we might have been the 20th company to launch this service. But within like three months of launching, we were the first, we were the biggest by far. So, I mean, I think there is a combination of being early, but it's also being smart, you know, having the best products and then kind of knowing how to get the word out there. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, something I talk about a lot kind of these days in 2013 is that there's just so much competition out there. You know, whatever market you enter, there's, you know, a dozen competitors. And if you don't kind of know how to do sales or marketing well, you're going to just flounder. So I I think it's definitely very important to kind of focus on those things. So you think that the differentiator nowadays is uh, sales and marketing? Yeah, I mean, 90% 90 I think of a business success, like going from zero to, you know, X amount of money per per month, I think it's all sales and, and revenue, like, I do a little consulting and, you know, whenever I talk to startups or new founders or people like thinking about new ideas, I tell them to spend, you know, 90% of their time thinking about how they're going to get users because user acquisition at this point, um, I guess in the life of the web is, is like the number one thing you need to focus on. Yeah. Yeah. And so it seems like, sorry, I'm just going to end with saying, you know, it seems like people are way too focused on product development and design and all that stuff, but like just not focus enough on the sales and the marketing and especially new entrepreneurs. Interesting. Especially interesting coming from the carbon made guy. So maybe <laughs> yeah. we should, maybe we should, uh, well, first of all, let's round off Typefrag. Like what, what happened with Typefrag? You, how, how long did it run? And then you decided to sell it? Yeah. So it's, it's still going today. Uh, my former partner still runs the thing. Um, I think there's, there's somewhere between I think 30 and 50 employees right now. Um, and the business is now located in Cleveland, um, Ohio. But we worked together for about four years um, and then kind of decided to part ways. And it was just around that time when I met Dave and Jason, um, who then I worked on CardMade with. So it was, it was kind of like a nice segue into that. And and did you end up selling your half of Typefrag? Like how, how did things like that work yeah. when, when partnerships, uh, you know, decide to, you decide to move on? Yeah, I think, you know, Dave and I, um, Dave, the Typefrag Dave, both of us kind of, we lived in different cities. Um, we had different kind of ideas for the business and we were making a lot of money as 21 year olds, like a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And we just kind of felt, 
um, as if one person needed to own the company and kind of just run it themselves. So, you know, that we had a kind of, um, I don't know how to say bidding war in a nice way, but we had a bidding war. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, he came out on top in the end. But I, I mean, we were both very kind of happy with the exit. So. Yeah. So, so a bidding war in the sense that you were interested in running Typefrag. He was interested yeah. in running Typefrag. They both raised money. Um, so Typefrag, all my businesses have always been bootstrapped, and so was Typefrag. But we both raised money to buy the other one out. So gotcha. kind of like we each had our own set of investors. And then it was just, I think it was like about a three-month process of like, here's my offer, and then here's my offer for us plus, you know, X. And, you know, went back and forth for about three months. You guys had a funding battle royale. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. <laughs> and we were, we were 21 years old at the time. So. <laughs> well, you know what's interesting about that is that, that that's an, every time you talk, I keep thinking, man, these are really crazy lessons for someone so young to be learning. Yeah. But you, Because often there's people in the business or at the top of the business, and uh, the business needs room, like leadership room or management room or just needs, you know, something different. And sometimes if there's like two partners, for example, that are kind of holding on to those top spots, uh, the business doesn't have room to grow. And Um, it sounds like you guys figured that out. Yeah. I mean, I think if I could go back in time, um, you know, I think TechPrag is an amazing business and it's even, you know, much bigger today. I think like, if we were a little bit older, maybe, you know, five, if we had five, 10 years more experience, we would have made it work. Um, but yeah, at the time it needed to be run by one guy. Yeah. And so you mentioned, uh, meeting these new guys and starting carbon made. How, how did that happen? So, um, I forget exactly how I reached out to them, but I needed business cards for typewriter or something. This was the day of business cards, or the time when we, when people still had them. Yeah, yeah. And uh, um, I remember that I reached out to someone, and then they referred me to this guy, Dave, who um, is the creative director and co-founder of Carbon Made. And um, you know, we started talking a little bit. Um, and then when I left Typefrag, I reached out to him and Jason. They they both ran kind of a design ad agency sort of thing, consulting company. And I reached out to them to see if they wanted to work with me on some design and development stuff for a new startup idea I had. Um, that sort of wasn't carbon made, but it was um, kind of, think if you know what, familiar with Foursquare at all, think about Foursquare, but just the internet, or just the web component and not the mobile component. Okay, um, yep. And so the, two, the three of us worked on that for like four months or so. And then they, they reached out to me and asked if I wanted to join their consulting company as a one-third partner and help them run the business. Um, and because this thing we were working on hadn't even launched yet, I decided you know that makes sense, so I joined them. And was the company called Carbon Made before you joined? No, it was, it was a company called Enterface. Um, it was a you know, design and ad agency um, company. And okay. so I think this was maybe like 2006 midway through 2006 and they had Dave who was a designer and creative director he had built um, kind of like the first iteration of card made on his own as um, kind of to manage his own online portfolio um, but at the same time it was kind of a small side project for him and he was you know they were both focused more on the 
they're both more more focused on kind of the ad agency thing, and they wanted to bring in another guy that could help them build Carbon Made. So the the idea for Carbon Made was kind of already there, and then they said, "Why don't you come and help them build that app?" Is that the idea? Yeah, yeah. Because you know, at the time when I joined, um, you know, we still had um, clients and everything, so it was like a lot of client work. And if you've ever done client work, it kind of takes up all your time, and it's really difficult to kind of build an app at the same time. So I joined to help them kind of bring CarbonMade to life. Um, and that was kind of my job over the first year while they were kind of finishing up a lot of the client work. Huh. That's interesting too, because, you know, th that's a lot of our listeners are in that space. They're doing uh, consulting work. And I, you know, I think this would be good to talk about because I think people have a hard time sometimes, or at least I do, uh, thinking about working with other people. So, you know, for myself, you know, I'm, I'm a creative person. I like building things. Um, and I'm just like everyone else. I'm limited by my time, but I'm always just thinking, I'll, I'll just do that myself. I'll just, you know, I'll work on this myself. I'll, and I keep kind of grinding away at it, but yeah. it, it's either really slow or it doesn't happen. Uh, in this case, well, in both cases, you've, uh, partnered up with people. Um, and in this case, they actually hired you to kind of, <laughs> while they did the consulting work, they hired you to get kickstart this new idea. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. Cause like, I've actually been talking to a few friends actually last night, um, over beers about, you know, two, one designer, one developer, and they're both kind of looking to potentially work on something on the side. Um, but, it, but I told them both that they, it's really, really hard to do by yourself because, you know, one, you have limited hours, but, you know, you don't have anyone else to push you. Um, but if you can only work five hours a week or 10 hours a week, it's, it's nice to have someone else who can also put in another five or 10 hours a week as well. So I've always looked at it that way. Like, it's better to have, you know, a smaller chunk of the pie, but, you know, increase the likelihood of being successful. Yeah. Yeah. And um, how did, did you ever have the fear, though, that people have about, you know, giving up control or um, finding the right person or like, was that ever part of it? Or did you always just have a sense of who would make a good partner for you? Uh, um, I think I've always just had a sense of who would make a good partner for me. You know, I'm technical, you know, nowadays, but back then, you know, I didn't really program I did some design, but very limited. So I always, you know, needed to work with people that could do those two things. Um, and a lot of designers and developers believe they know how to do sales and marketing and user acquisition, but don't. So I think like it's always um, good to kind of pair with someone who has opposite skills of you. Yeah. And and do you think that's a good mix is someone who's maybe more interested in doing sales and marketing and then someone who's more interested in, in building and uh, coding yeah, exactly. and things like that. I think like the team that we had card made was, and I, I wrote about this a while ago, um, was the most ideal team you could have because it was basically one business guy, one ridiculously talented developer and one ridiculously talented designer. And together you can basically do anything. You know what I mean? You can cover any aspect of a web app or a business period. So, you know, if you can get those three guys and give, each one of them a third of the company, you know, you're good to go. And were you the business guy in that equation? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. How, how did you decide that? Um, I, I think that's a, 
you know, there's a lot of like I've been on computers since 1985. Love computers, love technology. Um, but that the identity, especially on the web, the way you define yourself, are you a developer? Are you a designer? And then are you a business guy? Sometimes that, that can be a little scary saying, do I want <laughs> do I want to like say this is my identity now that I'm I'm just this guy? Uh, how, how does that kind of work itself out in your mind? Yeah, I mean, I think it definitely um, just being the business guy definitely affected me a lot kind of personally for my years at Cardmate. I think that I always felt like I wanted to contribute more to the product um, from like a design and development point of view. Mm -hmm. So when I ultimately left the company, you know, four and a half years later, um, the first thing I did was pick up programming. And, and that's kind of what I spent all 2012 doing. But um, yeah, is I mean, teaching yourself how to program. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So you, so that was something that you were doing. You were being the business guy at Carbon Made, but yeah. eventually you said you wanted to kind of learn this other thing and and maybe uh, sh shift gears a little bit. Yeah, I mean, you know, my years at Carbon, I think, were some of my favorite years um, of my life, and I think we built really, really awesome stuff that people love. Like, I mean, we had the best users you know everyone says that but we really did like creative people that were just so nice um and you know i always got you know working on a creative product all the time with creative users you're like damn i wish i could make something you know yeah uh, so, <laughs> so it's kind of like one you know is as i sold out of my out of car as i did with typewrite um and i had kind of a cushion so i felt like the next thing i wanted to do was learn a program um, yeah to kind of be able to build stuff for the web so and and before we go too far like sure. before we leave carbon made because <laughs> yeah. uh, you just had that comment before that sales and marketing is 90 percent and uh you know people are focusing too much on design and product and carbon made is i don't know if we've explained what it is but it's online portfolios for designers right yeah, yeah. and so i mean it, it's kind of known as uh, a really well-designed uh, like a great product, kind of a, a crazy culture, um, really kind of cutting edge, uh, especially on design and things like that. Um, how how do you? That's all, Dave. I mean, Dave is, you know, a brilliant, brilliant designer. And it's funny because he was doing all this stuff, you know, in 2000 when 2005, 2006. Again, before anyone else was doing it, like these bright colors, these huge icons, the big fonts. Um, the whole style, the look and feel, like he was the guy who started that. Yeah. And so the font choices, everything. How did you sell it? Because you've got this beautiful product. Yeah. Um, what, what were some of the challenges with actually selling Carbon Made? How did you guys um, get it actually to be a, you know, a company that made money? Sure. Well, I think so. the early days when we first launched, we were basically the first online portfolio. So we had kind of um, you know, early users from that. But again, like when you're the first, you also run into the trouble that like people aren't searching for you because mm. they don't know you're, you exist. So we spent a lot of time and um, kind of money on, you know, SEO and um, paying for advertising on Google and, you know, getting into design blogs and, you know, featuring good artists so that people would 
you know, come to CardMade to, you know, they're, again, they want, people want to host their work where other good artists are hosting their work, similar to TypeRag, where they want to use the same services that professionals are using. Yeah. So we did a lot of that. Um, and then, you know, just a lot of pushing it locally. So I started doing a lot of talks at like SVA and like NYU and all these places and just try to get the word out there. And what, what's the typical customer? Like what, what pain are you solving for people with carbon made? Like why would they, why were they coming to you and, and shelling up money for this? I think the biggest thing was that it was kind of the easiest do it yourself kind of, um, portfolio system. So there are a lot of other ones out there. We could customize every single little thing and like edit the HTML and do all that stuff. CardMade has never been that. It's always been, you just upload your work and we display it really, really beautifully. And you can toggle like one, two or three different kind of settings and that's it. Um, you know, you, you don't have to, you know, learn web development to have a portfolio with CardMade. And then we also host everything for you. Yeah. So it's just like, for people that are just, you know, painters or photographers who don't want to, you know, learn how to develop for the web, it was just the easiest solution. Although now it would probably be really difficult to start a company like Carbon Made. Yeah, it'd be impossible. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's good. That I think that we mentioned that because I think that's hard. You know, people people feel like you know, in some ways, because the tools have gotten so much better and easier, yeah. and people go, oh, I could start a CMS for editors. That would be you know, that'd be awesome. But yeah, I mean, we, we, when we launched, there was basically us. And then shortly after Behance launched, that just sold to Adobe recently for a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we definitely had multiple competitors start launching like every few months, but Behance and us and we, Behance and we just got so big so fast that these, these other guys just couldn't compete. Yeah. Interesting. Well, let's uh, let's move on to your current project, and I think yeah. we'll we'll end part one uh, with kind of the story of what's going on with Uncover, and in part two, I want to talk about some tactics. I want to talk about sales, uh, maybe even like product development, and uh, you've written a couple posts on that. But let's talk about Uncover. What what is Uncover? What's the story behind that? So. Um... You know, part of the story for Uncover is something I've been thinking about for like the last five to ten years. But I've always run operations at, um, you know, TypeRag and CardMate and so forth, and done all the hiring and all the employee management stuff. Um, basically, all the HR stuff was just part of my job. And you know, I we 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 were always very focused on employee happiness and you know making sure everyone, you know, had what they needed and that they felt included and you know, we'd go on company outings and socially and all that stuff. But a lot of companies out there, you know, they basically don't know what to do. So part of Uncover, like the idea is to address those needs um, and basically to increase happiness and wellness at your company. And that was something that I've always been really passionate about. And my current co-founder, Mike, has also been that way. And and so how and how is Uncover going to achieve that? Like what what does Uncover do that increases happiness? Sure. So I won't, I won't spoil all the um, future plans, but you're going to spoil a few of them, though, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I can tell you guys currently about what we're doing. So we, we launched in January, um, and the idea was to be able to quickly give your employees perks and rewards that actually were meaningful. Um, so for years, there have been these kind of perks companies that 
they basically gave you a large coupon book to a bunch of different places like 10% off you know, Six Flags and all these different things, services. But no mm -hmm. employee ever uses ever used them. You know, I know from friends of mine who run companies whose companies are listed at a discount price, but they never get orders. So yeah. we, we thought, you know, uh, one, there's very little value there for the employee. Like, what can we do um, that's you know better and more impactful? Like that everyone would you know come to work and be like, this is awesome. So we launched this perks program where employers can give actual things to their employees. So, if, you know, right now we have, I think about a dozen different categories, but everything from music to cleaning services, to gym memberships, to food membership, like things, to coffee and tea, to books, to video, you know, all sorts of different things. And the main difference being is that the employer covers kind of the complete cost of the good. Gotcha. How did, how did you wire all of that up? Like, is that, is there, <laughs> did you have to do deals with suppliers or is there like a API for perks somewhere? There isn't. So, you know, a lot of it is that we had to go in and, and, and make deals, but also there's kind of some, you know, like manual process to it. Um, kind of a combination of both, but we have with the bigger guys, we have a lot of deals in place. So, so with like iTunes and yeah, Starbucks and audio and those, yeah, those bigger guys. Yeah. And, and then so the system's like actually fairly complicated on our, our side. Um, and when people look at it, they think it's not much of a technology solution, but it, it actually really is. So, and, but, and right now there's some manual grunt work in this too. Yeah, there is. And we're trying to kind of, um, and Paul Graham actually just wrote an interesting post about this about a, two weeks ago. And then Jason Freed, um, followed up with it too, but like the idea of starting manual as, as much as you can and then only optimizing with code as like something becomes like really tedious. And that's kind of what we've, the approach we've taken. So it's, it was very manual three months ago and today it's, it's less manual and every yeah. kind of week it's becoming less manual for us. Yeah. Cool. And yeah, but we're, it's, we're seeing like amazing, amazing adoption rates. It's crazy. Like for all the companies that have signed up, um, employees are redeeming like 85% of the perks, which is wow. awesome. Yeah. And so this it's, it's live right now. You have customers signing up already. When, when did you launch? We launched, um, I want to say about two and a half months ago. So that would be, uh, April, 2013. Okay. And we started in, in mid January. So it okay. was something that we've been thinking about for in, in parts of 2012, but we didn't kind of set out to begin building the thing until January 2013. And and how do you make money? What's the business model? So we, we charge kind of just a standard service fee of $5 per employee per month, um, which is actually inter interesting is because that's what you're seeing um, a lot of companies do these days, these enterprise companies. Mm -hmm. They're just charging per seat. Yeah. Um, as opposed to just, you know, $50 a month for 10 users and then $100 a month for, you know, 25 users and then $150 a month unlimited users. They're charging specifically a single price per user. Yeah. I, although I, I know some companies that are actually now going the other way. They're, they, they were at a per seat and now they're going back to more of a, a general. What, what do you think, um, like, is, is $5 a month per user, is that is that a business model that's going to be able to scale? Like, is there... there that you think that's going to continue to work? 
it seems to scale so far for us. Um, we have companies of all different sizes, and you know, the nice thing from a, for our point of view is that you know, a 50-person company um, hopefully will grow into a 75-person company within you know a year or so, or two years. So that's you know additional revenue for us. Whereas if we were just like three or not free, but a set price for your company of you know over 50 employees, we'd see a lot less of a LTV for that. Yeah. Company. And and do you have an idea of how long LTV is going to be? Like what how what is LTV right now, and what the potential well, so far is? So we haven't lost a current a customer yet. So. You've got perfect. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we've got perfect, but we've also only been around for like two and a half months. Yeah, um, I'm guessing that it's going to be really high for us, um, just because you know enterprise companies where you're giving things to your employees, it's really difficult to then take them away. Yeah, because if you're giving everyone you know, music for free so they can listen to it at work. It's hard to be like the next day, sorry guys, we're not giving it to you. And um, is, is it enterprise companies that are buying this or is it people in the startup space? So mostly, so we're still kind of determining like our ideal customer, I guess you would say, but it's tend to be tech companies right now and ad agencies. So companies that have kind of retention issues or, you know, they care a lot about company culture and they want to kind of, um, better the life of their employees. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's been great though. We've been um, dealing with a lot of like uh, tech startups in New York City and San Francisco and other places in the United States. And so far everyone is like super, super excited about it. Like the employees love it. The employers love it too. Cause like at the end of the day, it's such a small percentage of, your, of someone's salary. You know, say someone makes a hundred thousand dollars a year, you know, you give them music that costs an extra $10 a month to you. you know? Yeah. But the benefit of it is huge because you could raise their salary ten dollars a month, but you could also give them something where it, you know it's impactful. So yeah, the the value of the ten dollar music is definitely yeah. greater than the value of uh, a ten dollar raise. Exactly. That's so funny how psychology how that psychology works. Yeah. Um, I, I want to talk to you about sales and how, how you're selling this, um, but let's do that in part two. So uh, anyone that's listening, check back next week for part two where we discuss uh, basically sales tactics and then we're going to get into some product development tactics too. My oh my, Spencer Fry. What a great guest. You'll definitely want to come back next week for part two. You can follow Spencer on Twitter at Spencer Fry. You can follow me, Justin, on Twitter as well at MIJustin. And we even have a Twitter handle for the show, at Product People TV. Talking about Twitter, if you go on Twitter and thank our sponsor, at Sprintly, right now, I'd love you forever. And if you like the show, please give us a review in iTunes. It's as easy as clicking five stars. We'll see you next week for part two. Podcast hosting is provided by Transistor.fm. 
They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to Transistor.fm slash Justin and get 15% off your first year.